Amen. Jesus. No greater name than his. You know, it's enjoyable to have Scott up here. I like seeing him. I think he does a relatively decent job. But, I will have to say, we're going to have to have a sit down because you missed the offering this morning and then you missed the handshake this afternoon. That's two of three Baptist staples. The other is no chicken at a dinner. So, you might have to send you back to class. Other than that, I mean, you're not doing too, too bad. I want to talk about truth. We live in a time today where truth depends upon who you talk to. We live in an era today where it's world philosophy versus biblical scripture. We live in a time today that man says that if there is a God, why is there evil in this world? Many will claim that God is the one that is evil. While they point to some Old Testament scriptures and they like to pick out the ones where the Israelites march into a land and God tells them to clear out the land. They say, see, look, God is the horrible one. They say, well, if God's truly so loving, then how would a loving God send someone to hell? But Scripture... And if you go to John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, we'll read those here in a minute. Scripture, I believe, paints a different picture. And just because the world would like to pick out one or two verses or four or five scriptures out of context and claim that God is a vengeful God, that God is an angry God that does not make it truth. And brothers and sisters, today above any day, we face this battle. We're in a time to where it's Christian hunting season. That Scripture means nothing to anyone else. And in our so-called Christian churches, people don't know what God's Word says. And just because the world says they have truth, brothers and sisters, our truth relies in God's Word. Our truth lies in Jesus Christ. And so tonight, what I want to do is I want to take a journey. And I'd like to ask each and every one of you to follow with me back through beginning at the beginning. And we'll look as a whole Truly, is God scripturally, is he an angry, vengeful God? Or is he the God that we all believe him to be in a loving and kind God? Let's go to prayer. Our most precious and heavenly Father, we come to you this evening in this world that we ask that you give us the strength to stand strong. The strength that 
to not be deterred. The devil does not like the position that Hilltop Baptist Church takes. The devil does not like where we stand. He does not like the movement we have going on, God. We pray that you be with our hearts. Give us the strength to stand strong against those that would stand against us. Give us the strength to stay on the path, to fight with truth and honor in your holy name, dear Jesus. I ask that your word this evening be yours and not my own. We ask that our hearts be changed and that we stand firm. We love you and we thank you in everything that you give to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Scripture contradicts world philosophy. There has to be a truth. So, is there a contradiction? Does Scripture really portray an evil God? And that's what I'd like to cover tonight. So, let's begin our journey, alright? What was the... Um, I don't even remember that TV show when they, when they go back to... Okay, we're all going back. Let's go all the way back to creation. Genesis chapter 1. We've got special effects going on. Wait till you see the light show. That's, that's where Rob turned the lights off for me. That's our light show. We're going to go all the way back to the days of creation where at some point, God outside of time, I always like to ask the question, if God lives outside of time, He's not bound by time, how long, it, how long was God waiting until He created, created heaven and earth? Anybody know? Forever. There's no beginning, there's no end. How long was it until He got bored and needed us, right? So God creates earth, space, and time. God then spends time on an atmosphere. Day three, some dry land, some plants. Then the sun, the moon, and the stars. How many stars are there? You can't number the stars. Galaxies. Roger's on a roll. You get to move up. Can't number the stars. Galaxies upon galaxies. God sits them out there hanging them one by one. All by His Word. Of course, then he creates the sea and the flying creatures, our animals and our trees and our grass. God spends all these days, spending his time, verses 1 through 25, creating a perfect garden of Eden. Hand created by our Creator. He builds this land for us to live in. The Garden of Eden, it's perfect. It's beautiful. It couldn't be asked for anything greater. Next thing he does, if you jump down to verses 26 and 27, you'll see. Now remember, the world says God is an angry, vengeful God. And yet he just spent all these days of creation creating the most beautiful thing that our eyes would probably have ever seen. So now this vengeful God in verses 26 and 7 says, or does, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over 
all the earth and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he male and female. Created he them. He fashioned us to mirror him. Does that sound like an angry, vengeful God? I'm sorry. Anyone here have children because you hate and despise children? Anyone here absolutely? I'm sure there's sometimes you don't like your kids. But I'm pretty sure all of you here liked them when they were at least born, right? You were kind of into them the first couple days at least before you realized what a horrible inconvenience they are and how they totally just change your life. But, you know, that's a sermon for a whole other day. God creates man in his own image. He says, I want to make man look like me. I want to set him above my perfect creation. I want him to be the ruler. And then what am I going to do? Then he creates a helpmate. So he creates two people, a woman and a man, to live in this perfect utopia. And then when you go on to verse 28, God says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth. Subdue it, and have dominion over the fish in the sea, over the fowl of the earth, and over every earth, of the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. He blessed them. He gives them a job to do. Does this sound like a vengeful, angry God? We're not even out of the first chapter yet. And we already have a God who has given us perfection he then created us in the likeness of perfection and then he gives us an easy duty listen this is before work required sweat okay this was when work was fun this one it really was you walked out of your house and you picked your apples and your oranges and 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 pineapples which i think is the forbidden fruit that's because they're so good that's I claim it was a pineapple and not an actual apple. It was lost in translation. So we're not even out of the first chapter yet, and God's, God's already made things perfect. Listen, we became the problem. Forward to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. With this perfect living arrangement, everything given to us, we all know the story. It's not enough, is it? Adam and Eve decided they wanted to live by themselves, by their own little rules. So they have their little issue with the pineapple. And so what happens? God punishes them. God says that you have sinned. And so God has to remove them from this perfect land, this perfect utopia. But here's a vengeful God for you. He says in verse 15, He says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. What happens here? Uh, they find out that they've sinned. They can now see their nakedness. What does God do? God covers them. A vengeful God, right? God covers them. And then when He sets them out of the garden, even, even though He's punishing them, because let's face it, all right? 
Kids need to be punished when they break the law. God says, listen, I know what's happened. I know you've sinned against me, but I'm going to still make a way. One day, I'm going to send a Savior that will save you and die for your sins so that you can enter back into the perfect land of heaven. This angry, vengeful God that the world tries to push upon us has not only given us perfection, not only made us in His likeness of perfection, He has made sure that since we messed up, that we can enter into heaven someday. That sounds to me more like a loving, caring God than a vengeful, angry God. Bad things happened to Adam and Eve, not because God was vengeful, but because Adam and Eve were selfish and self-centered. Bad things have happened to us, not because God is bad, but because we are no good. They chose to live the life. They chose to turn against God. Bad things happened to Adam and Eve because of them. God still tried to make a way, made a promise to Adam and Eve that I will send a Savior. So now we're going to fast forward. Noah. Everybody know the story of Noah? My mom's not here. That's her favorite little boat story. Noah's Ark. Genesis chapter 6. My mom spent like 30 years teaching kids, so, I mean, she's got the kids' stories all down pat. Genesis chapter 6. You have the story of Noah. We all know what's going on. At this point, the world has gone off its hinges. Completely fallen apart. Violence. Murder. Decadence. You name the bad word, that's the earth. Verse 13 says, And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. I'm sorry. How bad has it gotten that God is already willing to wipe everything out and start new? I look at today. Today seems really bad. Apparently, that day was worse than today. So bad that apparently there was only one good person left on the earth, and that was Noah and his people. God said, the whole world is crazy. The only person I can find is Noah. What's say? Noah found what? Grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God tells Noah, he says, listen, your neighbors have lost their mind. He said, now I'm going to wipe things since I can white whiteboard. I'm going to just wipe everything out with water. And I'm going to start completely new. Now, to me, an angry, vengeful God would just blow the earth up more of like a science fiction kind of God, and just recreate everything, right? Start fresh. Did he do that? No. What did he do? He said, I made a covenant with Adam and Eve. He said, so Noah, Noah's found grace in the eyes of the Lord, so Noah, I'm going to fulfill that covenant right through you. I'm going to make sure you and your family, you build this boat, this this giant boat, we're going to put all these animals on it, And I'm going to make sure you live. Does that sound like a vengeful God? 
I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like a God who is willing to do whatever He has to do to keep His promises, no matter how bad the world gets. God says, I am a God of my promises. I tell you, I make a commitment, I will stick by it no matter how bad you get, my promises will stand true. Listen, I don't care how far the world gets, God promises us that if we as Hilltop Baptist Church stand firm on the Word of God, there's no devil that can come against us. There is no one that can come against us. I don't care how angry you and I get with each other. I don't care if we have turmoil within the church. As long as I stay on the power of God, as long as I walk in the will of God, nothing can stand against me. God might destroy the earth around us, but He'll leave Hilltop Baptist Church. And still, we'll be the new people to the newer. We will stand strong. I don't care who gets out of the God's will. As long as I stay in God's will, as long as you stay in God's will, God is a God of promises. He's proved it with Adam and Eve. He's proven it right now with Noah. Brothers and sisters, I don't care how much heartache and despair we go through. Our God is not a vengeful God. It's, we're not even out of Genesis yet, and we've proven that. Verse 18, he raises, he establishes his covenant, tells them to go in the ark. He shuts the doors. The rains come, the floods come, all the waters secedes. Who's left? Moses and his family. I don't see an angry, vengeful God. I see a God of love and a God true to his principles or his promises. He set the rainbow to prove that to us. That's God's rainbow. Just so you know. A little bit fast forward, we come to Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. So now, uh, of course, we know the the fathers. We know where the Israel nation came from, how they grew. God blessed them. They got to be so mighty that uh, the Egyptians finally just kind of enslaved them because there was millions of these people. All right? God's just blessing them and blessing them and blessing them. Finally, they get to the point, uh, Egypt's just whipping them and abusing them. Uh, they're slaves. They've built half of their land. Uh, you know, they're just gigantic. So they're crying out to God. And God sends Moses. God sends Moses. Moses goes in there. We all know about the series of plagues. Finally, Pharaoh says, just take them. Go. So they go out. They're gone for several days. Pharaoh changes his mind. Sends his people out after them. They get to this big, giant Red Sea. Moses sticks out his staff. And what happens? Parts the Red Sea. Did Moses part that Red Sea? Or was it that vengeful God? That's right, that was God. Verses 29 right here in chapter 14, he says, But the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them in their right hand, and on their left, verse 30, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. I've always wondered about this, this story. I believe it was dry ground. Now, 
The world will try to tell you that at certain points of the year, the Red Sea gets down to where you can kind of mushily walk across like the corner somewhere, okay? I believe that God literally drank, made walls. The question I have is, were there fish? Could you see them? Was it like an aquarium? I mean, it was wide, thousands of them, or millions of these Egyptians crossed. It took weeks probably for them to cross over this water, this land. It wasn't like a narrow little staircase, you know. It was a giant pan. I mean, we're like, what kind of fish are in the Red Sea? Am I, getting, am I getting off topic? My powerful God promised that He will send a Savior through the nation Israel. And they were getting to the point to where that wasn't going to happen anymore, so He raised Moses. His promise was, I will bring a deliverer. So, my vengeful God raised up the Egyptians out of, or raised the Israelites out of bondage, brought them out of captivity, and promised them a new land. What they call that land? The, the promised land. There we go. So, of course, the Israelites, because they're rock solid, Kind of had a little bit of issue. So their GPS didn't work quite right. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They didn't have Garmin. You know, if they had Garmin back then, maybe been a little better deal. Because of their self-centeredness and because of their wanting to please themselves and the issues they had, they wandered. They were scared, afraid, even though God parted the Red Sea for them, they walked across on dry ground, all of a sudden giants and walls and stuff were a little freaky for them, right? So that they they couldn't do, so they spent all this time roaming around, so God raises Joshua. He raises Joshua up and he says, through Joshua, I will bring you into the promised land. Forty years they wander, Uh, Joshua verses one through three It says, now after the death, 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 now after the death of Moses, now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joseph, Joshua, man, the son of Nun, meaning he didn't have a mom. Son of Nun, Moses' minister saying, Moses, my servant is now dead. Now therefore arise, go over into Jordan, Thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to thee, even to the children of Israel. He says, listen. He says, I want you to take those that are allowed to go, and you're going to take them, and I want you to take them into the land that I promised them, the promised land. That is your land. I promised that unto you. I'm still watching over you. Even in the 40 uh, 40 years they wandered, they still took care of them. He he led them uh, by clouds and by fire. He gave them manna, and people ate better than most of us do probably in some certain situations. Listen, he took care of his people then. He made sure that he always has a deliverer for him. He raised up Joshua to bring them into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. God, this vengeful God the world wants to talk about, continues to make sure that His covenant with His people are made sure. He promises a promise and He sticks by it. My God is a God of promises. That is the God of the Old Testament. An angry, vengeful God, I don't see. 
dedicated God, continually watching out for His people, even though they whined and they whined. The Israel people had to be some of the whiniest people I've ever read about. God loved them the same. He said, I don't care how far you get, I will always be there for you. To God who says, I don't care the condition of your heart. If you are willing to repent, I will take you back. He doesn't matter. So, now we move into Judges. We're going through the Judges in our Sunday school class. Israel is just a fantastic group of people. God promised them all this stuff. He does all this stuff for them. He brings them into the land, the promised land. And he says, all right, go wipe the people out. I want you to clear out the sin. Kind of like when we get saved, what does he say? He wants us to what? Start wiping out the sin in our own life. So they get in there and they start working. They get moving around. And, and, and at one point, they, they get so far and they're done. We can't go any farther. There's chariots and people that we don't understand and we just can't handle it. So then they start Mix it in with them. Well, you know, if we just kind of live with them, maybe we'll change them. You heard that, right? I'll change him, right? I'll change her. Lori still says she's going to change me. I'm a Wilson. We're solid in our foundation. That's what I mean by that. That's got nothing to do with stubborn and hard-headedness. So, when you got Judges chapter 2, God comes down and he says, An angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Belchim and said, I made, made you, yeah, I made you to go up to, out of Egypt, and I brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out from among you, from before you. But they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. God, if you read the book of Judges, raised 11 or 12 different judges. Othniel, Ibzan, Shamgar, Samson, and so on and so forth. Why? Because if you look in our Sunday school class, there's a circle that Israel went through, and it was served God, didn't serve God, got led into captivity, cried to God, God rose up a deliverer, and then served God. And it circled like this over and over and over and over all the way through the rest of the New Te- Old Testament. Over and over and over again. Listen, they went through hard times because they chose to live in sin. Not because God is vengeful. They went through hard times because they wouldn't clear out what they were told to clear out. Listen, brothers and sisters, the majority of the time we go through what we go through is because we tried to mix with the sin. We can't live in the world and expect to follow God 100%. We can't have my way and follow God's way. But this vengeful God, did He give up on them? Did He quit? Absolutely not. He rose judges up over and over and over again. Every time they cried, He brought a new judge. A new deliverer to fight them off and to bring them out of captivity over and over and over again. 
Then you move into the era of the kings and the prophets. There was a great group of people there. The kingdom divided into two different kingdoms, Israel and Judah. Israel had no good kings. I can't recall of any king that ever did anything great in the eyes of God. Judah actually had like two or three. When you read through Kings and Chronicles and you read all these stories over and over and over, uh, uh, people of Jeroboam and Amri and Jehu and, and Amen and all those guys, you hear constantly over and over and over, and they did evil in the sight of God. And they did evil in the sight of God. And they did, you get a feel it there, kind of like a mantra, over and over. But you know what God did? God said, fine. So I'm going to bring forth people like Elijah, the fire prophet. I'm going to bring forth guys like Elisha, the double blessing. Isaiah, Amos, Micah, and etc. He brings forth all these prophets because his chosen, chosen people are falling to the wayside day after day. So God makes sure there at least is always one light set in, in this land so that somewhere, somehow, the God of gods is being shown and the Israelites can see the true path. They choose to not follow God. They chose to follow themselves. And they chose to land in captivity. We cannot break the bonds of sin if we continue to make sure we follow our own paths, our own desires. We serve God. I don't serve Barry. I don't serve my dad. I don't serve anyone other than God. And when those people aren't serving God, I'll gladly walk away and I'll serve my own God. I'll stand here and I'll serve God for as long as I can, for as long as I have to. I don't care who opposes me. And I'll stand with every needs, every one of you that will stand for God for as long as you're willing to stand for God. That is how it's supposed to be done. Not here for personal pleasures, as much as I would love to have a smoothie bar downstairs. I like smoothies. I'm not here for a smoothie. I'm here for God. Listen, I love you guys. I'm not here for a social outing. That's what I got Facebook for. Alright? I'm here to serve God. God has called me. Listen, God has given me somewhat of a, a talent. I guess it depends on who you talk to about the ability to preach and teach. God has given me a bit of a talent to handle the sound system. That is what God has called me to do here at Hilltop Baptist Church, and that is what I'm supposed to do. All right? God has a talent for each and every single one of you, whether you know it or you haven't found it out yet. That is what you're here for. You're not here to just sit in a pew. You're here to serve God. Israel was here to serve God, and they didn't. Over and over they fought against this, and God continually, my loving and caring God, rose prophets to bring Israel back to God over and over, trying to keep His covenant. My God chased Israel. He chased them from Egypt all the way until the New Testament, all the way up until He sent my Savior when Jesus Christ finally came. Jesus Christ's ministry. John chapter 1. When He was on the cross, we were on His mind. Listen, Jesus Christ came. In verses 9-7, through 7, it says, That 
was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Listen, Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of the, of the covenant that he had originally made with Adam and Eve that went on through Noah, that came on through Moses and Joshua and the judges and, and the prophets that moved right on in until the birth of Jesus Christ with Mary and Joseph. That was the covenant. Covenant. That was the promises. There are over 200 or more prophecies all throughout the Old Testament of where my God, my loving God says, I don't care what you've been through. I don't care the sin that you've been through. I promise you, if you come to forgiveness, I'll make a way every time, every time. My God makes a way. My loving and caring and promising God makes a way. The world wants to say, my God is a vengeful God. Explain Jesus Christ. How can the Son of God, if God hates man, would He leave heaven and come as a babe in swaddling clothes in an inn? Listen, He should have at least been born to some rich folk. Walked around. His mom and dad lost him at one point. Testified, witnessed. While he was here, he started the church, the true church of God. He rose up men to follow him. He healed the lame. Made the blind to see. Raised the dead. You tell Lazarus that God's not a loving God. My God. He's proven that He's a loving and patient and forgiving God. Waiting for us to stop our cycle and to cry out to Him. A second chance. A second chance to focus on God, not man, not self, and not even our emotions. Listen, sometimes we get wrapped up in our own personal feelings. We get upset over stupid stuff. I found myself, I sit back like, I can't believe that made me that upset. How ignorant is that of myself? Doesn't even affect me. That's the devil. The devil gets in there on me. Listen, I, I by no means believe the devil can ever possess me. But I'm telling you right now, he can affect me. And if we think the devil can't walk through them doors, listen, he walks in with us every now and then. He shouldn't be able to. But he get a hold of us sometime. He knows what aggravates us. Listen, he knows he doesn't have to tempt Trevor with Brussels sprouts. But, uh, you know, we just moved to a new house, and we live right behind this Supreme Nut and Candy store. For those of you who don't know, Trevor's diabetes went nuts about four months ago. All right, so I've been going to the doctor and nutritionist and specialty people and really working on, our, on my diet here trying to get my numbers all back down. They're doing really well. Of course then, God leads us to this house that is literally right around the corner from the coolest nut and candy store you can imagine. Okay? My wife has gotten addicted to these little berry juicy thingies. I'm not sure what you call them. And then my daughter over there, she comes home the other night with these orange slices, only they're not oranges. They're pure sugar painted orange. 
and then goes to bed and leaves them sitting on the table. Okay? I, they speak. They, Trevor, the whole, I'm sitting there like, I finally had to take them to her room, you know, after I tasted three or four of them. And then I felt sick to my stomach. The wife yelled at me. It was a whole other story, but still. The devil knows. He doesn't have to come after me with Brussels sprouts. My nutritionist said, you got to stop drinking so much milk. That was bad. I love my milk. See, the devil, he don't hit us where we're strong. He hits us where we're weak. That's why our God is a forgiving God. Our God, all through the Old Testament, is a God who chases His people, who makes His promises, who says, if you follow Me, if you stand all alone, you'll never be by yourself. I don't care how far we think we are. The world wants to say that He's a God that doesn't have anything to do with any one of us. I disagree. I know what He's done in my life. And we could walk through here and we could talk to an individual after individual. And I'm sure that each and every one of you can give us a story where God was faithful, where God was strong, where God protected you, where God raised you up. We could go after testimony after testimony. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need to focus on. We need to stop focusing on our faults. We need to start focusing on our Savior. God is my light. This little light of mine, let it shine. Let it shine. I don't care what my faults are. I don't care what your faults are. I don't care that I'm stubborn and hard-headed. I'll take that and say I'm stubborn and hard-headed about Jesus Christ. You want to come argue with me? You bring out the Bible. You show me where He's a bad God. I'll show you a hundred places where He's a faithful God, where He's a strong God, where He's my Savior. I don't care who we think we are. Satan, Satan wants us to not believe. Satan wants us to be tired and wore out. My God promised on His ascension that He'll not leave us alone. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And then what does He say? When we fast forward to the book of Revelations, listen, this is the Bible. This is one of those books that you want to read the end first. Listen, we win. God wins. We just have to toe the line. What is 50 years, 100 years when God promises eternity? What is a, a crazy argument over color of pews when God says stay faithful and you will be blessed beyond measure? We at Hilltop Baptist Church are a family. And in that family, we're going to have people like Scott and Richie, but we still have to love them. We're going to have people that argue, listen, not everyone can always be right, so just agree with me. It makes it a whole lot easier and goes a lot faster. We're going to have people that we argue with and that we struggle with. We're going to have those situations. But listen, we are the family of God. We focus on Jesus Christ here at Hilltop Baptist Church. I don't care what little struggles are going on. My Lord's coming. He's not far away. 
There are lost people in this world. There are lost people in Fairfield. There are lost people in our families that need to see Jesus Christ. Where do we care so much about arguing with each other where we forgot that people are dying and going to hell? Family members, friends that we work with. Jesus came for them. He came to us. He promised. Promised us heaven. We need to focus less on the world saying that God's not a loving God. We need to not let them in these walls and these doors. And we need to stand firm and let everyone know that God is a loving, faithful God of promises. As the musicians come, the pastor comes, truth is God is mighty. Thank you.